Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Mike Reed is the co-founder and CEO for the Americas of Dent Global, a business accelerator best known for helping six to seven-figure founders establish themselves as the go-to person in their industry. Mike is the co-author of the Canadian edition of Key Person of Influence and host of the Dichotomy podcast, helping leaders navigate the dichotomies they face in business and life. Entrepreneur named Key Person of Influence, one of the top business growth accelerators in the world. And Dent was recently named 2021 Business Enabler of the Year at the British Business Excellence Awards, as well as 2021 Business Advisor of the Year in the Growing Business Awards. With offices in London, Sydney, and Toronto, serving all time zones, Dent has a team of 50 plus people and has acquired award-winning businesses in IT, video, uh, awards, and publishing to form a full service strategy and implementation group for entrepreneurs. I am so happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome, Mike. Hey, Corey, thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here as well. So listen, I mean, just, just from your bio, my listeners are gonna know why, why I've got you on. We're talking about entrepreneurship, business acceleration, deals, I mean, all, you know, all the stuff that we love to talk about. But before we get a little more into exactly what you do and who you help, I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because my guess is, uh, you know, being the, the co-founder and running a uh, business growth accelerator probably wasn't it back then, but you tell me. It's, it's funny, Corey, because I, I like to ask the same question of my clients in some of the workshops that we do, because it's really like, it's a fun question. It's actually pretty revealing of, of often I find that, and I don't, I don't want to steal your thunder on this, but often I find that there's like these parallels, right? Between these things that we wanted to do when we were younger and and what we do today. Um, For me, I wanted to be a golfer. Okay. Yeah. I want to be a professional golfer. I, uh, my grandfather was uh, like an avid golfer and he got me into golf when I was young, like probably in my, eight on, or maybe even younger, actually six, seven, eight, I was into golf and playing golf with him. And, and, uh, and then my, my dream was to be a professional golfer, uh, which, um, which was, you know, I think big part of the reason I was wanting to do that was because of him, you know, there was like my grandfather who I loved and admired and, but uh, also like, I think it was, it really matched my personality and, the thing that people will say once they get to know me is that, you know, I have a very precise nature. Yeah. I'm precise in my words. I'm very considered. Uh, I'm precise in the way I think what I want to say. And there's this level of kind of precision that I tend to bring to 
my my world and I'm I'm like totally OCD uh you know every, like neat freak at home my, my wife's the opposite so you know that's always fun it's uh, the yin and the yang and uh and yeah and so I think I think like a big part of the reason why I was like always interested in you know in golf was because of that precision element and I also really liked the the nature of playing golf which was you were in this great expanse of of nature and you were going off hitting this ball into the distance and kind of venturing into the unknown and there was some level of like adventure to it like navigating uncharted territory or new territory I, I always love to go to a new course and explore a new course so you know I don't know how those themes exactly relate to what I do today but but those are the things that I loved about golf yeah, it's interesting because I, I used to play and I, saw, I gave it up after a number of years, uh, mainly because I got back into cycling and some other stuff and whatever. And I just, you know, there's, there's only so much time. Uh, and there were a lot, there's a lot of things I liked about the game. I never got any good at it because I only played, you know, if, if you play four, six, eight rounds in a, you know, a year, you can never, you know, and you don't go to the range, you never get good. But, but a joke that I stole from an old friend of mine that I spent on used to say to people is, uh, you know, that I'm really good at golf. I drive the cart well. I look good in the clothes. I smoke a good cigar. I play, I drink a good beer. I have great conversation. There's only one part of the game I'm not so good at, and that's hitting the little white ball, you know? <laughs> and, there, and there's some truth in that about golf, right? It's, you know, it's just, it's, it's an experience. You, you know, you're outside and you have a day and, you know, for business, you get to, when else do you get to spend four or five hours or usually more because you get there early, you hit some balls, you maybe get a drink or, or you know, a meal after, you know, a four or five hour, four, four and a half hour around the golf, whatever it is, you know, so it's hours and hours. So I get, I see all the benefits of it. I just, uh, at some point I, I chose to move in a different direction, but, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, it's, all right. It's actually really true too. I haven't used it as a business networking tool either. Cause I haven't, I haven't played in, in many years. That was kind of what I wanted to do when I grew up, but you're right. It's like you get to clock up that time. It's actually, yeah, it's I mean, what, point. Mm. what other situation do you get, you know, four to six or seven hours, you know, solid with a business partner or a client or prospect or whoever. Mm -hmm. uh, but in any case, so interesting. Uh, one other question looking back, what was your first deal of any type? Uh, it could be something that you remember from a kid or older, whatever comes to mind, anything that you consider a deal from? Uh, mm. Well, I was always trying to strike a deal with my teachers at school. I don't, I don't know if we if we'll if we'll classify this as a as a deal in the nature of uh, what we're going to talk about later on, but but I uh, I tended to I, I went to this uh, fairly you know affluent kind of school and area and yep. and my my dad was a you know, rebellious kind of a guy and personality and I um you know I, I obviously you know being a young man I I sort of admired and looked up to him and so there were lots of things about the rules of this school, which I, I didn't like. Right. I kind of, I also had that rebellious streak in me, whether it was like genetics or if it was just like learned from him. And, uh, and so there was, there was constantly always like negotiation with the school about, um, you know, like bending the rules basically. And it was, you know, silly, silly things like, you know, we're talking, um, you know, at the school, you could only have your hair, you know, to a certain length, otherwise you had to get it cut. And so for about six months, I came into school with like slicked back hair, like that was above my ears, which is the rule needed to be above the ears. But then like when I'd take the gel out at the end of the day, it'd be like, 
you know, <laughs> and I'd have this long, long hair. And I, and I used to like, as soon as I leave the school, I'd like rough it out and, and look back at the teachers and smile on their face. Type of thing. By yeah. the way, for anybody who's only uh, seeing this on uh, or listening to this and not seeing the video, Mike now has um, shaved on the sides, so it's well above his ears. And you know, <laughs> maybe that's subconsciously a relic from my childhood. I've got childhood wounds now. Oh my god, that's too funny! All right, so let's uh, let's expand a little bit on you. You know, on on your bio, who gets served in this incubator? What are the kind of things that they learn? Tell us a little bit more about the, mm. the business and what you do and who you impact. Yeah, of course. So, uh, so we we work with the founders of traditional service companies is our is our niche, which I know seems pretty broad. But if you imagine anyone in a professional service firm or a health services like chiropractic clinic, physiotherapy, um, legal firm, accounting firm, where you know the value of what the firm and the founder really delivers is based on this intellectual property they've got in their head. And uh, for most people in that kind of a business, you, you know, you, you go to school, you, you learn the trade or the, the, the area, technical area of skill, whatever it is, and then you go out and you build a business around it. But most of those entrepreneurs never really get taught how to you know, build a business, how to build a brand, do the sales, the marketing, they're technical experts in their field. And uh, so they get to a point where, you know, they build, they build a great little business. It's established. They've been around the block, et cetera, et cetera. They're usually in their thirties to sixties in age group. Um, but they find that the market's getting noisier and more competitive than it's ever been before. It's harder and harder to differentiate and cut through. And while they're great at what they do outside of their immediate client base and network, they're not really that well known and recognized. Yeah. And so we take them through a process over 12 months to put them into this, accelerator or, or a coaching and training program to show them what are the kind of key skills they need to develop as a go-to person or a go-to brand within their industry, or ultimately how do they position themselves as a, as a thought leader and a thought leadership organization so that they start to differentiate their brand based on some philosophy and principles and methods and process, all that, all that, you know, juicy stuff that already exists in the business, but they're just not really that well connected to it or, you know, they're too close to it. And so we help them unpack it. We help them package it, show them how to pitch it more powerfully, turn it into published content. We've, we've actually helped a thousand of those entrepreneurs we've worked with become a, an author in their industry. So, you know, they use that book as a tool to leverage their brand, much like you, Corey, and, and then uh, use, use it as a lead generation tool within their business. And we help them productize and build their profile and kind of do all these soft skills of, of what we term uh, a key person of influence, which is kind of based around this, um, this book. Listen, I, I love it. And anybody, listen, a lot of listeners, I mean, we have many, many new listeners. We actually have grown so significantly in, 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 uh, in audience this year. But, but uh, those listeners who certainly know me for a while, so many of you are my clients or, you know, or, or know me, have seen me go through this journey, right? You know, as, as somebody who, uh, yeah, ran a successful law firm um, even prior to when, uh, you know, I started um, doing any kind of what sometimes they call authority marketing, that kind of stuff or so, you know. You know, before I wrote my book, before I had the podcast, before I put out a lot of content on social media, you know, I established a very nice uh, firm. But you know, the the concepts of how I kept top of mind and how I expanded, you know, reached out and how I got known for a certain thing. In fact, you know, even you know, listen, we do all kinds of corporate work and other stuff, or whatever. But you know, made a definite decision because I love deals. 
that you know the uh, the the brand and everything was going to be around you know around right deal quest around deals around negotiating around things like that because it was a big part of what we we're doing anyway something I love to do and and also there are a lot of general corporate you know attorneys out there right a lot of competition but so I just raised that because one of the reasons why I wanted to have Mike on although uh, I didn't know him then and didn't you know and 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 didn't have the opportunity to work with him I've been through this you know this 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 journey and this opportunity and seen the benefits of it right and seen the growth that we've had and seen you know the, the great people we've met and the additional clients we serve and and you know expanded my firm hired more people all that kind of stuff because of this exact kind of journey mm-hmm. so i wanted to definitely expose folks you know to to that opportunity with my care and and corey i'm curious right just for for everyone listening too it's like often i find people have a have a bit of a short-term mindset or approach when it comes to you know, get creating a breakthrough in their business where it's like, ah, oh, what's the immediate fix right now? What's the thing that's going to work for me in the next six months or, or whatever? And I, I'd be curious just uh, if I, if you don't mind asking you the question of like, how long has it been on this journey for you? And then, yeah. and then like, what's the period of time that you tend to have found for you it takes in order to kind of cross that threshold and, and get to the other side. And then when you are on the other side, you know, what are the benefits you experience that are kind of different from what you had before? You can, you can tell Mike has his own podcast. He's, he's, he's flipping the script here, which is totally fine. That's great. I'm always the question asker at a party, never the person talking. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let you do it because it, no, it's true. Listen, it, we've been doing it for years and, and it's, a, it's a long-term play, right? You know, like you don't do a podcast episode and think suddenly you're gonna, your phone's going to start ringing off the hook, right, with clients. That's not the way it works. The way it works is that you build a body of content. You, you, you're out there. You stay top of mind. One of the things I always say to people is this, I study the model, right? Because most people write a book and they don't understand that the average book sells or something like 90 something percent of the books sell under 300 copies, like 280 copies or something like that, right? And so if you think you're going to write a book and you know make any kind of money selling a book, whether you're, by the way, this is true, self-published, major publisher, whatever, you need to have a business model around. Same thing with a podcast, right? The, you know, the fall majority of podcasts don't make 15 episodes. So this podcast is a good example. When I went into the podcast, I said, I'm the kind of guy who's going to do zero episodes or I'm going to do hundreds and hundreds of episodes, right? I'm either in it for the long term or I'm not going to do it because I know it takes a while. So we, for example, are getting as many downloads per month this year and our third year as we were getting as we got the entire year, our first year. Hmm. Okay. Just, just to give an example of the growth. Hmm. Yes. Do we track a business that's developed directly from the podcast or frankly, from the guest strategy? That's not the utilized thing. I mean, I, the relationships I build with guests hmm. are, you know, actually as valuable or more valuable in some ways for business than, than even the podcast. But what I also know is that almost every time when I talk to somebody who I haven't talked to for a while, the first thing they say to me is, hey, I listen to your podcast, or I saw your LinkedIn post about this, or I saw, or hey, how's the book going, right? So I know it's top of mind. And although there's a portion that I can directly trace, there's a big portion that I can't quantify directly, but I know our growth level, and I know how much more top of mind we are, which is a long way of saying it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a long time play. I know over the last podcast has been going three and a half years, the book is out four and a half years, Right. I know our growth during that period, uh, and I know it's in part attributable to you know all of the stuff we're doing. So, to me, it was a multi-year commitment. I knew it was, and I knew you know it was a matter of just building that authority market and getting out there, being consistently in front of people. And you know, I, I trusted it would pay off. And so, for me, it's not a short-term play. 
Well, you're a, you're a shining example of everything we, we talk about. So thanks for sharing. Okay. So let's get back to you. Um, that's what the incubator does. That's great. And I know, I think when we were talking in the pre-call, you know, one of the segments in that you do talk about a little bit, right? in the training is, is around like business partnerships and mm-hmm. certain deals like that. Is that, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, partnership is the fifth in five P's. So it goes pitch, publish, product, profile, and partnership. Great. So let's talk a little bit, you know, all the other ones are valuable, but this is a deals podcast. So let's talk a little bit about the, the fifth P, the partnership one. And, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, what you teach people in terms of partnerships um, and, you know, uh, why that's important. Cool. Okay. Um, when, we, when we talk about partnership, we're really talking about um, putting together joint venture deals, yeah. uh, strategic partnerships, distribution partnerships. Um, so the, the way the way we teach it is there's we really sort of teach it around a framework we call the the magic triangle or the partnership triangle. Okay. So for anyone listening, if you can imagine a uh, an image of a triangle and it's got three different corners to it, the way we think about partnership is we go look for most entrepreneurs they're probably lacking one of three things. Either they don't have enough trust with their audience or in the marketplace yet. So they're kind of just missing a little bit of wow factor. You know, if you imagine like a business that's good at what it does, but, you know, a little bit same, same in its industry, not a lot that really has it stand out and differentiate itself, then it probably just lacks a little bit of that kind of cut through trust and, and wow factor. Or it might be that you've, you know, you've got that, but you don't uh, have enough kind of value within your ecosystem, your product ecosystem or your service ecosystem, or perhaps this is not as much value within the actual kind of core core thing that you offer, right? And potentially that core value proposition lacks a little bit of punch in terms of value. Or the third area is you might lack some reach. And so in each of those three areas, we, we look for partners, we can start to improve those, those things. So for example, if you like trust or wow factor, we look for brand partners. Um, whether it's individuals or if it's companies who already has the brand, who already has the track record and, and, then, and the credibility and how could we align with them in a, in a way that brings a bit of their, their face and their image and their reputation into what you do. So this is pretty common where you've got like, like Nike, for example, will, or Nike uh, will align with celebrities and, and have celebrity endorsements. Um, that's a brand partner, right? It's designed to elevate the product in the eyes of the consumer um, and you can do the same thing in your, in your business, whether, whether you've got a consumer product or your B2B business. Uh, for example, I just spoke at a conference on the weekend, a real estate conference here in Toronto. There was about a thousand people there. It was, it was great to get out and actually do a, do a physical talk again. Absolutely. And the guy who runs it is a, a client of ours and he had an amazing panel of guest speakers there. One of which was a, a guy called Kevin O'Leary. I'm sure you're familiar, Shark and Shark Tank. And so Kevin uh, was the headline speaker. He, that's a great example of a brand partner, right? His face brings a huge amount of credibility to the event and therefore to his business. You know, if in terms of value, this is where product partners can pivot, can come in. So a lot of businesses have the opportunity to maybe bundle in and package in other value from other providers that would actually add value to their clients. So think things like software subscriptions, um, preferential rates, add-ons, bonuses, you know, din- dinners out, vacations, like anything that you can think that's like, what would the, what would our core customer get more value from that we don't provide? Who already has that? And what's the, 
you know, how do we, how do we have a conversation with them in a way that we can share that resource? Because usually for most of those product partners, they'd love to get their product in front of a new audience and that's valuable for them. And it's valuable for you because you get to add more value into the ecosystem for your client. And then that third area is distribu- distribution. So, you know, if you lack reach, if you lack the audience, you lack the, it's like who already has the list, who already has the audience, who already has the subscribers. Um, often there are many businesses that are, are really a subscriber, like a, a business that is designed at, like, let's say essentially a media company, like the, you know, if you imagine like a, a community that, has lots of members, like an association has lots of members or a chamber of commerce, lots of members. They often don't have necessarily like a really strong business model behind them. And so, you know, one of the ways they might make money is through advertising to those members. So, you know, finding ways that you can build relationships with distribution partners to get the message out there. Those are really the three pillars of how we teach partnership. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. I've got a question that I'm wondering because I... This comes up for me a lot, right? Uh, you know, I think there are so many entrepreneurs who have only focused on building their business organically. You know, they've, they've got, you know, sales and marketing, providing great products and services to their clients, right? That's what, what they do, you know, and, and that's what it comes down to, right? I mean, we have lawyers have different names for it, rainmaking, business development, whatever, but, you know, we're talking, right, it's sales and marketing, it's providing great products and services. That's the organic way to grow a business. And what I find is so many folks... That's their focus, right? And then they get into the situation where they want more reach or they want, you know, or their clients need additional services or, or you know, or different uh, things that their product doesn't provide. And their, you know, and their first um, instinct is to try to figure it out organically, right? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because the more you can do and the more you control, it's, it's great. But very often I'm asking them that simple question on who can you partner with? Who can you do a deal with? Who can you do a strategic alliance with, a joint venture with, a distribution deal, a marketing deal, whatever? And they haven't really even thought about it, right? Uh, So I'm curious as to your experience when folks come in and they go through, you know, particularly that module, like, what do you think? Well, first of all, do you find, you know, similar to me that often it's, I mean, not, not, not that it's a new, like, you know, I mean, intellectually, they understand that exists, but for whatever reason, they don't go there. And so, you know, have you seen that? And if so, what do you think is going on with that mentality? And how, how does your work help to shift mm-hmm. their thinking? You know, like we talk about the mindset of a dealmaker on this podcast a lot, which is different than the mindset of an entrepreneur. There's some similarities, but, you know, just, just even to start saying, hey, there's another way to do this. So I'm mm-hmm. curious as to your experience, because, you know, it's always fascinating to me how it seems to be, at least in my experience, a a default to having to do it organically and less likely to think of, oh, who I can partner with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just now, I don't know, naturally as human beings, we're probably, we've probably been trained at school perhaps to think that we need to do it all on our own or that, you know, we can't ask for help or it's not that same kind of level of collaboration. You know, if I, again, I probably think about the way that school trains us as it really does train us to go out and like learn the, learn the knowledge past, you know, do the exam on our own or 
you know, it's, it's very sort of like a solo sport, you know, going through, going through education until you get up to maybe some like higher levels of education where there's that collaboration. So I think part of the challenge is we need to break through one core paradigm, which is we refer to this with our clients as I-L-R. So I-L-R. And it stands for the illusion of limited resources. All great entrepreneurs uh, that we all admire and like the iconic entrepreneurs like the Elon Musks of the world or the Richard Bransons or anyone like that, they totally kind of got that concept, right? The limited resources is purely an illusion. It, it, it's, uh, you know, if you're missing something, it's just a question of asking, well, what am I missing and who has it right? already? And that's, I think, the cornerstone of thinking with a partnership mindset is that resources are not limited, right? If I, if I don't have the money right now, I don't have the trust. I don't have the, the, the actual really great killer product. Someone does. And how could I partner with them? How could I bundle this in? Uh, how could I package? How could I bring a bunch of things to the table and start to package it all together and, and then offer that to the market? Yeah. So, you know, I really think that a great entrepreneur is more of a, like a packager than they are, are just a creator. Yeah, one, one of the examples we use with our clients is that if you, if you actually looked inside at all the componentry of a Porsche, does Porsche really make a Porsche? And, uh, and when you look at like all the parts, you know, where they come from, the different companies that are involved in supplying various different parts, really Porsche just like any other, except for Tesla, Porsche will, uh, you know, bring together a bunch of components, package it up and make this beautiful end product called a Porsche 911. Um, and that's what we do as entrepreneurs. You know, we, we take bits and pieces of like, uh, like other team, uh, like team capability. We bring other people into our team that have different skill sets and specializations. We might bring together uh, product partners who help us actually in, in delivery of, of our product. So for example, we bring in some very experienced mentors to work with our clients. We call them mentors, but speakers who, who work with our clients in the program. Uh, and big part of the reason we do that is not just because we think they would teach each of those components better, which they kind of do, but they, they also just, they bring fresh faces. It brings you know, new, new brand equity into the business. It also pushes myself and my other business partners out of delivery so that yep. we're not, you know, hundred percent involved in delivery and we've got other people there. So, um, so I think it's like the, I think the things I'd share there, Corey is like the mindset of ILR it's who, who already has it and what do you need? And then as far as executing on that, uh, we have a little rule with our clients we call the rule of two thirds and the rule of two thirds says you've got to go out and pitch for one of these partners to get involved for only one element of the, th- the three corners of the triangle. Right. Uh, so bring two, th- two thirds to the table because if you ask for more than one third, it feels more like a request than an opportunity. Right. So for example, um, you know, if I went to like the great brand name, the, the person who's got the credibility and the trust with my audience. And if I said to them, Hey, we'd love to have you as a brand ambassador with the business. All we, all we need you to do is we just need you to, you know, we want to put your face on the, on the website as a brand ambassador. We're going to put a little bio there for you. Uh, we'd love you to show up for a little event or a talk for 45 minutes once a year. And then, you know, leave, leave the rest to us. You know, here's the fee, whatever it is blah, 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 you know, here are all the things we want to do for you in return. 
And so I'm asking for that one thing. Whereas if I said to them, they've got the great trust and credibility, you know, and I said, oh, look, by the way, I noticed you've also got a pretty killer social media following online. Would you, be, would you also be happy to start to, you know, pr- promote what we're doing once a month to your audience, you know, on this schedule? Oh, and, you know, by the way, like uh, I also know, noticed that you've got a business over here and you've got some products that I think our clients would really love. Can, would you be up for us packaging that in? And now it's like, oh my God, this feels, this doesn't feel like an opportunity. This feels like a request. So, so, um, you know, when you're going out and pitching for these, these deals and these partnerships, I think just like a great deal mindset is you, you always want to present an opportunity, not ask, not make a request, uh, bring two thirds to the table. Even if you don't have two thirds, it's like we're in conversation with, with these product partners and we've got a bunch of products that we're going to package in and a bunch of companies that are really eager to be involved. We've been talking to this radio station and this magazine and all these people that are interested in promoting the product. We just need a a face that people will trust in order to endorse the product. How would you like to be that person? They say, they give you a soft commitment. Yes. Great. As soon as you've got uh, them involved, then you go back to the product people and you say, now we've got this person involved. Do you want to be involved? And then they say yes. And you're away. I love the way you broke it down. You still, in that example, you still bring the two thirds. You just bring the two thirds through other partnerships, right? Like, you know, so, so you still, you you know, as to that one person, whether it's that, let's say celebrity endorser or whatever it is, you know, you still bring that two thirds, you know, you don't have to bring it in house. You just have to have it in place. And I love the breakdown. And I think that could apply to so many people. Like I was thinking, uh, even in terms of myself, like the conversation of having the trust, having the, the full product service quality, right? And then having, and the distribution. Like, I think that's such a great framework. Um, and I look at, even though it's not a deal in terms of, because as a lawyer, I can't share legal fees, so I can't pay anybody, you know. Um, but but for example, I, I get, and I've shared this on the podcast, whatever, in, in, we have a niche in, in financial services where we work with a lot of investment advisory firms and teams that are looking to break away from Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, UBS, Goldman Sachs, and uh, open their own independent wealth management firms. And the people who have access to those folks are people like the, the salespeople, the BDOs, business development offices at Schwab, Fidelity, TD, Pershing, and then certain other major players in the space. And they, uh, you know, so they're calling these people all the time, right? So for me to go out and, you know, this happens because I have a reputation or whatever, but still for me to go out and get one team that's leaving Merrill Lynch at a time, you know, yeah, I mean, that's one way to do it. But instead, what we've done is we've established a great relationship and rapport with the custodians, with the Schwabs and the Fidelities, Didis Bergings and other key players who are constantly calling upon that market. So they have the equivalent of distribution, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. not products that distribute, but they have access, right? They have the net network where they're, they're calling on hundreds of these guys. They're working on them for years. And at some point when they say yes, that team is going to need a, law, a legal referral, right? Now, what, what do we bring to the table? We bring the quality product and service, right? We have, 100, we have that lockdown 100%, right? The Schwab's Fidelis, those folks know we do that super, super, super well, right? And we also have the trust factor because we've done this with hundreds of teams. They know that. We have a trust factor with them. They they sort of, you know, endorse us and bring that trust factor to the other to the other player. But really what they're getting us is, you know, what you call distribution or reach, right? You know, mm-hmm. or access. Um, and for them, obviously, the benefit is that 
Um, they want these teams to be successful and they break away uh, into independence so that the assets move to, to their platform, to, you know, um, and, and we help them do that, right? So um, so I, I love even, even in, especially because you talk about service provider businesses, even outside of like, I don't have a deal with Schwab or Fidelity or TD or Pershing, again, because I can't ethically do that, but I do have a business relationship. It's almost like a channel partner deal without mm. the economic exchange, right? You know, and, you know, I hadn't really thought about it in terms of your triangle, but it, but, you know, but it fits, you know, mm. in that totally. I, I do bring two thirds. And exactly. And you, you know, you'll, you'll always get like a little bit of side benefit of, of both. So if, if the Schwab and the Fidelities are primarily a, like you consider them to be a channel partner, but because of the brand name behind them, you also get a little bit of that magic dust rub off yes. on you as well. Right. Yeah. So so, so long as you're not overextending the friendship and the relationship by saying, "Hey, can you give me a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of that?" Um, but you, you do get you do get the side benefit, and yeah, you know, it's a little bit like this podcast as well. That this podcast acts as a great, like any podcast for any for any podcaster, acts as a a great um, uh, you know trust builder, and like you get to align with other key people, so that elevates your brand. But then simultaneously, the people who you interview, you know, you do a great interview and then they want to sh- share it and promote it and they also become a distribution partner. But it's kind of like a side benefit, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. All right. So so let's, um, as, as we get up in time here, I, I, I want to spend a little time in the bio. You, you know, we talked about how uh, your company has uh, acquired award-winning businesses in IT, video awards and publishing. Um, you know, so let's talk about a little, little bit about your own deals and your own strategy, you know, where you use, use deal driven growth to expand your offering and, and create a full service, you know, uh, offering. So let's mm-hmm. you know, uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, the decision on that and, you know, some of the deals you've done. Mm-hmm. So part of the reason we, we did those acquisitions was because uh, maybe you know, three or four years into running Accelerators, which was our, our core business. We started off as a coaching and training company. That was all, all we did. And, you know, we expanded that from London in the UK to Melbourne and Australia and Sydney and Brisbane. We sort of were running like a, back then it was physical workshops in a, in a live venue. And, uh, and so, you know, that was great, but that was, you know, very much what you were describing, which is, you know, growing organically around that, uh, that one product and that one, business. And, and we would send a lot of our clients off to, as we taught them about things like publishing and encourage them to write books. And then we'd, they'd find publishers and we'd send them off there and they'd get publishing deals done. And we're like, ah, oh, wouldn't it be good if we could like send them off to our own publisher. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, that initially the first deal we did was with a web dev company. We, we actually developed a little software tool, um, called the KPI scorecard, which is we would, we'd ask people 40 questions about their business. And then we'd come up with a little algorithm and rate their level of industry influence based on how they answer those questions. And we give them a score and in, in all the, each of the five P's and an overall score and come with a nice little report. So we built that tool with a web company and that was a lead gen tool for us in the early days. And then we liked the tool so much and it was so effective for us when we also liked the company. And so we decided to acquire that web, web dev business. Um, the way we, you know, the way we did that was we uh, essentially did an equity swap. Um, 
So, you know, that was a small little web shop, little boutique. Uh, we already had a pretty well-respected established brand. We were global, multiple locations. So, you know, we would value our equity and our, and our valuation was a lot higher and a lot higher multiple and, than theirs. And so, you know, there'd be a little bit of that equity arbitrage um, between, between the two and or value arbitrage. And, and so, you know, we brought them into the business where, you know, we didn't have a lot of cash just laying around the business to buy the business, but we, sure. we had a valuable brand and we had, so it's very similar to the partnership mentality. It's like, well, you know, what could we bring to the table? It's like, well, we didn't have the cash sitting around to buy the business, but we had, we had a great brand, we had distribution, we, we were global and so on and so forth. And um, so that was the first acquisition, you know, we brought them in, uh, they, you know, immediately started introducing them to our frameworks and methods and that really helped them grow the business. But of course we referred a bunch of projects to that. So it just, you know, it, we started vert vertically integrating through the supply chain with those, with that acquisition and with the, the ones that came next. And, and so that cross-selling uh, meant that that business, you know, doubled and then it tripled and, you know, it kept growing and growing and, and just became a great little business sitting within our group of companies. We, we wholly owned it as a wholly owned subsidiary. So we did that. We did it with a publishing company. We did it with a, an awards business, like helping people, like a consultancy, helping people win awards. Mm -hmm. We did it with a video production company. So most of the, those businesses were really sort of well aligned to our method of what we were teaching. And that was part of how we grew through, you know, our entrepreneur journey was, and it was interesting, Corey, because uh, as we continued running accelerators and doing coaching and training, as you'd know, 10, 12 years ago when we started, there was very early days. There weren't many coaching and training companies. We were talking about becoming a key person of influence, building a brand. It was like we were, we were pretty leading edge at the time. Sure. And then market gets hypersaturated, much more competitive. Um, you know, we still stand out and are differentiated, but nonetheless, you know, you, you're in a much noisier, more saturated market. So, so as uh, you know, as we anyone would know, economics 101: when um, when demand outstrips supply, profits are you know, prices go up, profits are realized. When when uh, supply outstrips demand, profits disappear, and and uh, prices go down, profits disappear. So that's what's that what's that's that's the nature of any market is that you go from a, a, an early market that is like new and trending to one that becomes mature with lots of competitors. Um, the profitability of that industry declines over time. So, you know, coaching and training, as far as an industry has declined in terms of profitability, and that's true for us too. But uh, but then the services businesses, as we would funnel, we would just be the marketing engine for those businesses. So we'd funnel business towards them, and they actually became, uh, well, you know, maintained good profitability. And and ironically, that now today, sixty percent of our revenue is in services, forty percent is in training and coaching. So you know the services companies are the most um, profitable part of our business, and but it comes back to this idea of like products and services alone don't make money. It's how it all sits together in an ecosystem, and we found that worked really well for us. Where you know training and coaching becomes the sort of front end engine of attracting an audience, and then and then we feed them off to services, and, and the whole business you know is uh, is more profitable as a result. Yeah, no, it really makes sense. So uh, on the future deals you did, did you continue doing equity deals or at some point did you switch over to cash or some combination? Yeah, or? combination, combination. Uh, so we did, we did some more equity deals. We did some, we did some cash and equity. We did some just cash only. Um, so yeah, we, it, it evolved over time. And like now we'd be, we're in a better position to, you know, do cash only deals. And I think that's, I'm, I'm guessing Corey, that's probably the way that most companies tend to 
you know, if they grow through acquisition, it, you, you do a few equity deals to begin with. And then, you know, as you, you build and grow, you, you can do some more cash deals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, you're right. It's pretty typical, you know, of an evolution. Uh, although, you know, even, even with mature companies, sometimes there are reasons to do do equity deals. But but you're right. That, you know, it tends to trend that way. One last question on that, and then, and then we'll... Uh, We'll we'll start to wrap up. Um, so what you know, there's always there's always the the decision on whether you build you know you build or buy, right? And you know, in these other areas, you've cho- chosen to buy as opposed to you know to build, right? You, theoretically, you can build, right? Hire people, whatever. Um, what comes into that you know that that decision? What had you decide? And, and ha- have there been any new areas where you actually chose to build as as opposed to buy in terms mm, of yeah spending? So. So good, good question. I think uh, like over time, we realized that it was more and more valuable or accelerated to buy than, than yeah. it was to, to build, especially for something that wasn't our core expertise. So publishing, web development, you know, video production just made more sense to, to buy. Um, the way we've done it is we didn't merge the brands. Is we, we actually just kept them separate brands, but they're all as part of the Dent Group as, as wholly owned subsidiaries. So right. I don't know whether that's the right way to do it or the wrong way to do it, but we did it kind of out of just not wanting to rock the boat. So like just th- those founders keep running the business. They keep doing their thing. We, we largely leave them alone. We work together. We share ideas. We share business between each other, but there's not a lot of pressure to like conform to some sort of dent protocol. And, um, and so it's sort of become this kind of cobbled together agglomeration of, of businesses, which, you know, has its advantages and disadvantages. But coming back to the question of like, what would we build? We actually um, ended up turning that scorecard I mentioned, the the KPI scorecard into a into a SaaS product. So um, we were doing it for so many different businesses that we decided we just make it a, a SaaS business, and and so we spun that out of Dent as a separate company called Score App. And uh, if you just like Google score app, you can, you can go there and see what it's like. And it's uh, yeah, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's, we raised some capital for it. And in the space of about two years, we've, you know, it does, it does about a million bucks in annual recurring revenue now. And, and the multiple on that it's in the space of two years, it's, it's probably worth about 10 million. It's, it'd be worth about as much as, as uh, our traditional service business after building it for 12 years as, as, uh, as, uh, as, as, as the other does. So, so yeah, that's been a pretty cool um, evolution for us. I think more and more we realize that there's so much value in software. Um, the world and wor- the world is going more and more digital and more, more and more kind of uh, dematerialized. So we're, we're really like, we're, we've been working as well on the side of, on building a little a little SaaS product uh, for our training and coaching, like like essentially a, an operating system or a dashboard that we teach people of how, like how to build their business. We want to turn that into a little operating system or dashboard they can use to, to operate it and run it. And, and um, yeah, so I think strategically, you know, over the next 10 years, we're probably going to try and move more and more into like software plus training as opposed to just training on its own. Love it. Love it. So, you know, that's a great case. I'm going to, uh, time to get into the details of that, but it's interesting. So that was a build decision on the SaaS product, but then you did a deal because you said you raised some capital, outside capital, right, to help that go. So, you know, that was a combination of a fundamental build, but then but then a deal, you know, a, a capital raising deal to help move that along, which is great. Uh, all right, so uh, before I ask you my final question, uh, listen, you've, you've given a lot of value here. Uh, you know, I love what you're doing, you know, with all, with all your programs and, and, and because of these acquisitions and, and, and what you've built uh, organically and internally, um, you know, I think um, 
you know, again, as somebody who's gone through this evolution on my own, I think like I understand why you've gotten all those components, right? They totally make sense and they really work as an ecosystem. And, you know, I know you can provide a lot of value to folks, uh, you know, through that. So if people want to find out more about all that, uh, what's the best place for them to, to, to go to find out more? Yeah, great, great question. So uh, probably the, the best place to go is you can you can just Google Dent Global and you'll see a bunch of stuff that will come up on, on Google about us. Um, but if you go to www.dent.global, you'll see our, uh, our kind of primary company website. And if you, if you want to check out some of the case studies and the stories and the people actually going through the programs, then I highly recommend just check out dent.community. So that's just www.dent.community, no.com. And, uh, and you'll, you'll see a bunch of great stories and, you know, experience of people applying the method. Awesome. Awesome. So folks, uh, you know, if you miss those, they'll all be in the show notes. Don't worry about it. You can get all those links. So Mike, my final question on the podcast is always about my highest ideal in life, which is freedom. And for me, that means everything from freedom for all people around the world from oppression to the reason why I haven't had a boss in decades and I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, what does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? I think for, for me, Corey, the, the freedom, you know, it's easy. I think the common like thing that most people go to is about choice. You know, yep. it's like, it's about the ability to choose where you spend your time and who with and how and all that kind of stuff, which I think is, is absolutely a very admirable and aspirational goal. However, um, you know, I, I also feel like uh, in, in life, as much as that sounds great, the practicalities of life mean that, you know, uh, you, you, you don't always have that freedom all the time and that we've got responsibilities and obligations and spouses and kids and businesses and all this stuff, which is actually very demanding. And, and I think for me, life is, uh, is demanding, you know, it's demanding to be an entrepreneur and no amount of kind of business growth hack uh, or, or advice from any kind of guru out there that says, it isn't. I just don't think that's true. I think, I think, you know, the nature of business and life is that it is demanding. And some of my, some of the entrepreneurs that I respect and admire the most are actually ones that are doing incredibly demanding uh, things and jobs, you know, like just, just look at like an Elon Musk, for example, it's like, how the hell does that guy do what he does? It's just like the, the level of demands and pressure and stress is mind, mind blowing. Um, but he's like making a dent in the universe. And that's why we call our company dent. But coming back to like, what is freedom? I think freedom is more like philosophically for me, it's more about like, how do I have freedom within myself? Like a, a sense of feeling free admit, amidst the chaos and the disorder and amidst the demands that just day to day, I can, I can have this sense of, uh, sense of freedom. And, and I don't know exactly what that is. It sounds a little bit vague. Um, I'm not exactly sure how to find it necessarily, but what I hope to achieve in my life is that I have greater and greater moments of that sense of peace and freedom within. And, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with recognizing what's within my control, what's outside of my control, um, being willing to change how I perceive events to be occurring around me, um, 
you know, uh, having, having the will to accept whatever fate may send me, you know, uh, I, I love stoicism as a philosophy, you know? So I think, I think like when I, when I hear the word, you know, how, how, what does freedom mean to me? It's, it has a lot more to do with um, a sense of kind of freedom and peace within uh, amidst the external chaos of life that will, you know, probably forever be there for the rest of my life. Love it. Love it. And, you know, many of my listeners know I talk about the internal journey a lot. So I definitely resonate with that answer. Agreed. Thank you so much for being a great guest on the Deal Quest podcast. Cool, man. Hey, uh, Corey, I really appreciate you having me along. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.